Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello, and welcome to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura, and I am an infant and child sleep consultant. So today I wanted to talk about the topic of separation anxiety. I see separation anxiety so much in the work that I do with families because separation anxiety is definitely up there as far as causes of sleep challenges or very big contributing factors at the very least. So I wanted to take some time today to go a little more in depth into separation anxiety because it's kind of misunderstood. A lot of parents I think that I encounter seem to think that it's a a quick stage and it passes quickly and then it's over. But separation anxiety actually presents itself at different ages and stages and then also with different family situations and different temperaments of children. So I'm going to go into that in a little more detail in today's episode. What is separation anxiety exactly? First of all, separation anxiety is a normal stage of development. Every child experiences it. And it's actually a sign of a healthy, loving attachment with you, their primary caregiver. And if you have a partner, them as well. You guys are their primary caregivers and their primary attachment figures. Before a child learns something called object permanence, which is usually between four to seven months of age, when you leave the room and and um, walk away from them, you basically disappear in their mind. They don't realize that you're still there somewhere because they have not learned that concept yet. When they start to realize, oh, when mom leaves me and walks away, she's actually in the other room and I'm nervous about when she's going to come back, that is when the separation anxiety begins. What also begins simultaneously around the same time is that your baby's learning cause and effect. So they learn when mom leaves and I get scared, and I call out or cry, she comes back. And they learn that that behavior is the way to get your attention. That's when we see separation anxiety begin. It usually peaks between 8 to 18 months. That's really general because it can vary greatly from child to child. And I'll go into that in a little more detail in a few minutes when I talk about ages and stages and different temperaments. Separation anxiety can also be triggered by a life event or a transition. So if there are other potential causes besides develop, developmental milestones or a developmental stage, um, if your family's gone through a big transition or something like divorce or moving, your child may also experience heightened separation anxiety. And that's why it can present itself at different times with different children. So some general signs of separation anxiety, it's pretty easy to spot, but if you feel like your child may be in a more anxious stage or a more clingy stage, then it's something to be aware of because it will affect sleep generally. So clinginess, crying when you're out of sight or when you leave them, a fear of strangers, stranger danger, definitely waking at night more often if there's not something else that's a cause of it. If it just happens very suddenly and particularly if your child is showing signs of separation anxiety during the day. One of the easiest ways to tell is if your child is very easily comforted when you pick them up and then as soon as you put them down, they start crying again. That's not a hundred percent sign of separation anxiety, but it's a good indicator. So 
talking about ages and stages, because this is really important. This is where there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding and misinformation. Sleep regressions, which is the big bad wolf in my work, sleep regressions are actually developmental leaps. And when your child is working on developing a particular skill, such as a physical skill like crawling, walking, sitting up, standing up, those kind of developmental milestones, they are gaining more independence from you. So with that increased independence also comes an increased anxiety of I'm separating from mom and dad, but it makes them nervous that they're separating from you. And then cognitively speaking with development, as your baby is getting older, they're developing a sense of separateness from you. So they start to realize that they're a separate person than you. And that usually between, um, I think it's like age two and three, your child fully realizes that they're a separate person from you. But before that, they're just learning about it. And it can definitely cause some more anxiety with children because they just, they don't understand what that separateness means. Sleep regressions happen a lot of times because of milestones, developmental milestones. Along with those milestones comes separation anxiety. If you notice your child is working on a particular skill, you may notice them having increased trouble going to sleep or increased night wakings. And part of that is due to the separation anxiety that they're experiencing. And some common times for those milestones, you know, nine to 10 months, this is really, it varies, it varies between child and child, but around there, there's usually another one around 12 months. And then there's usually another one around 18 months. It can, it can peak um, pretty high around 18 months when a child is, is in toddlerhood separation anxiety, because they're getting a lot more independence around that age. They're probably really good at walking and moving around at that point. They're getting really good at language. Their understanding is getting much bigger of the world and relationships in it. And then it can also peak again with late toddler, early preschool. So two, two and a half, three-year-olds and Sometimes this is due to a child's temperament. Sometimes this is due to um, outside circumstances such as beginning school or mom going back to work or changing caregivers. And sometimes it can be due to, you know, a child maybe not getting that attachment, those attachment needs met earlier in childhood. And so they're, so they're still in an anxious place when it comes to separation from you. So in my work, I commonly see between two and three and a half year olds. It's a really common age for people to seek sleep help because there's a lot of things that go on at that age. And I'm actually working on doing a toddler sleep episode very soon. It was requested by one of my listeners, which I'll go into much more detail about that. But part of that is if a child has not gotten their attachment needs met earlier in life, they're still anxiously attached, it's definitely going to contribute to sleep disruptions. And I'm going to go into that in just a minute when I talk about separation anxiety disorder. So it can vary greatly child to child, but typically most children with healthy attachment who haven't experienced a great loss or a big period of separation from a primary caregiver will outgrow most of their separation anxiety by age three. 
Now, there's something called separation anxiety disorder. And I kind of went down the research rabbit hole with this one. I didn't really realize that this was a disorder. I knew that there's anxiety disorders, of course. I uh, struggle with my own anxiety from time to time. But I didn't realize that separation anxiety disorder was so prevalent. And it is actually the most prevalent anxiety disorder for children under the age of 12. So how is it different than regular separation anxiety? This can be caused by life events that result in separation from a loved one, such as illness, death, even death of a pet, divorce, moving away. And then interestingly, it can also be genetic. So if your family has a history of anxiety or anxiety disorders, your child could be much more prone to separation anxiety disorder. Also, certain temperaments of children, which I found very interesting, are particularly prone to having this separation anxiety disorder. If your child is slow to warm to new situations, overly cautious or very cautious, if you would describe them as very shy or nervous temperaments, they could potentially be more prone to developing separation anxiety disorder. So there's something called behavioral inhibition, and the easiest way I can describe it is it's certain temperaments of children, kind of like I described. There's certain markers for children who may be more prone to developing anxiety, depression, etc. So if you have this in your genetically in your family, or if your child, if, if I described your child in some of the temperaments that may be prone to anxiety disorder, it may be worth looking into behavioral inhibition because it describes in more detail the children who are potentially more prone to childhood psychiatric disorders. So I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I found it to be really interesting that there's some predictors of that. Just like with regular anxiety disorder, how do we know it's a disorder? How do we know when to seek help? So I found this good article about separation anxiety disorder on psychology today. And some of the symptoms of separation anxiety disorder include excessive distress when separated from home or attachment figures, worrying about losing or harm coming to major attachment figures, excessive worry about experiencing an unexpected negative event like getting lost or becoming sick that leads to separation from attachment figures, refusal to leave home, school, or work because of fear of separation, Persistent fear about being alone or without major attachment figures at home and other or in other places. In children, this may look like clinging behavior or staying close to the parent. Refusal or reluctance to sleep away from home or to go to sleep without attachment figures nearby. And nightmares involving themes of separation from home or major attachment figures. So if your child is experiencing one or more of these symptoms, then it's a good indication it may be time to seek some professional help. And, you know, as with any type of anxiety or even any kind of psychiatric disorder, depression, if it's causing problems with functioning at home or school, if, if your child is having panic attacks, if your very young child is having intense tantrums, those are some good signs that it's time to seek some professional help if it's interfering with your day-to-day -day life. So on this podcast, I like to give you guys lots of tips and tools for parenting and uh, solving sleep challenges and 
Today, I'm going to talk about some tips for teaching your child how to separate in a healthy way. So ways that you can work on teaching your child that separation is is okay and that you'll be back. Practicing small separations, like going into another room. The important thing about this is to always tell your child that you're leaving or where you're going. And then to practice um, singing a song or whistling. I, that was a really good tip that I learned while researching this episode. I never thought about that. So that your child knows that you're there. And you can even try this with older children. If they're anxious about being in their bedroom, you can practice, um, You make, make it a game. You know, you can always make anything a game with kids and teach them something at the same time. Have your child stay in their room, in their bed, and then you go out into the hallway or into another room and do a you know, a call and response game or sing a song so that they know that you're there. And that teaches them that even when they can't see you, you're still there. Play hide and seek and peekaboo. These are really good ones, especially peekaboo right around the four month age mark. You can start to play peekaboo with your child and start to teach them about object permanence and it's practice for them. And then hide and seek with older children teaches them the same thing, that even when they can't see you, you're still there. Something I tell clients a lot is not to worry about spoiling your baby with attention. There's that myth that's still out there. I don't know how it's stuck around this long, but I have parents that come to me and say, well, I I know it's wrong, but I just had to hold my baby a little extra, or I know it's wrong, but I wanted to rock my baby to sleep. I wanted to nurse my baby to sleep. It's not wrong. It's never wrong to want to be close to your baby, spend time with your baby, give your baby extra love. You are your baby's everything and your child's everything. You're their source of nurturing in every way. And the more you build strong attachment when they're young, the easier it will be when they actually need to separate from you later in life, when they are starting school, when you're going to work. If you've built a strong attachment with your baby and your young child, then the chances of having these very dramatic drawn out separations are going to be reduced quite a bit. So do not worry about spoiling your baby. Don't sneak away. This is a big one. So parents think that if they sneak away, it's going to make it easier on everyone. What this actually does is it backfires. It makes your child more anxious because they feel like you could disappear at any moment. It fosters mistrust, which trust building is something that I work on with a lot of families that come to me for sleep help. Your child needs to learn to trust you that you're always gonna be there when they call out for you. And then your child needs to trust themselves that they're able to actually get themselves to sleep on their own. So trust is very big when your child is little. Explain to your child where you're going, how long you're gonna be gone. Even if it's a little baby, tell them, I'm leaving you with grandma. I'll be back after nap time. Even if you think your child can't understand you, it's really good to start practicing having those uh, having open communication with your child when they're young. And for kids, definitely explain it in ways that they can understand. After nap time, after snack time, I'll be back. You know, tell them exactly what to expect. You know, your babysitter, Jenny, she's going to be here. When, when, when you go down for your nap, I'm going to go run some errands. Jenny's going to come and stay with you while you're sleeping. When you get up, you can have a snack with Jenny. You guys can go to the park and then I'll be home after that. Kids really, really love to know what to expect. It makes them feel safe. So don't hold back on explaining to your child. Don't drag the separation out. 
because your child may stop crying the minute you leave. And as a longtime nanny, I can tell you that probably 95% of the time this was the case. The minute the parent would leave and we started playing or doing something else, the child would be okay and stop crying. As long as you put the work in to build up that attachment and that trust in the moments that you are there, make those moments count so that when you leave, you trust that your child has the ability to be okay without you. And if you project that to them, and that goes into my next tip is to be positive about it. So if you project positivity and confidence when you're leaving, you can do this. I'll be right back and I love you and I'll, you know, and then go and your child will be okay. But having a positive attitude about it, your child is looking to you for everything. They're looking to you for how to respond to things, how to feel about things. I talk a lot about this in my episodes. So if you're feeling positive and happy about it, they're going to mirror that as well. Another tip is to practice leaving them with familiar people first. So leaving them with grandma and practicing that. The other parent and then practicing separating. And you can both practice separation. But... Leaving your child with uh, a brand new babysitter for the first time ever, separating from them, that's going to make it a lot harder. So if you can, I know not everyone has family and friends nearby. It's not always available. If you can, practice it. If not, then just do more of the practicing small separations at home. If your child wanders off, don't follow them. So if your child crawls away from you into the next room, first of all, be sure that everything is safe in that room. And you can peek in on them, but try not to follow them around. Or if they start playing independently, just let them play. And this was a big way that I would encourage independent play with the kids that I nannied. Because that was something that most parents really wanted for their children was to play independently. And so the way that I would do that was to be sure that there was different safe play areas set up in various rooms of the house. And then I trusted that when the child went in there, that they were safe because I already had checked out the space and knew that it was okay. And of course, this varies if your child is learning how to walk or pull up, you have to be a little more careful about things that they can grab. But for the most part, you can make sure that a space is pretty child-proofed. And then peek in on them from time to time, but trying not to interrupt them, giving them the space to be able to learn how to be okay by themselves. When your child feels safe enough to wander off from you, that is a great thing because that means that your attachment is very strong. And the only time children feel safe enough to wander away is when the attachment to you is very strong. So using a lovey is a great tip. If you don't have a lovey for your child, you can start it early. What I recommend is to sleep with the lovey for two or three nights, sleep with it in your bed next to you so that you can get your scent on it and... Also, another recommendation is to, if you possibly can, have multiples of a certain lovey because they'll get dirty, they'll get left in different places. We had a rule with one of the families that loveys didn't leave the house. And that was a really good rule because it kept them cleaner and it, it made us sure that they wouldn't get lost somewhere outside of the house. So even if they were lost inside the house, we knew that they were always there somewhere. Giving your child an object to... Uh, be attached to is great. There are kids who are five, six, seven years old that I know that still have their loveys from childhood. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just another something that's a tool to help your child cope and to help them feel safe. And then 
the biggest one is just to allow your baby or child to be a child. That's a healthy thing that they're so attached to you and that they need you. Babies and children need a lot from us. Independence is great and it's healthy, but if your child is young or even not so young, they're still going to need a lot of attention, affection, and there's going to be periods even until they're teenagers that they're going to be more anxious than others and need you more than other times. So this isn't like a one and done stage. This is something that can keep coming back throughout our childhoods. A couple of tools that I have is I have a book that's awesome that some families have used that I've worked with. It's called The Kissing Hand. And it's basically about this little raccoon whose mom um, has to leave. And so she they come up with this little routine where she kisses his hand and he can touch his cheek with his hand anytime he misses her. That's a great one. And that's a ritual that you can then develop with your child so that every time you leave them, you guys have this little ritual that you do and, and it's a fun thing and your child knows what to expect. Another great one that I've used with a lot of families is um, Daniel Tiger, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, the TV show. And you can find these on, um, I think on YouTube even. Two episodes, Daniel's Babysitter and Daniel Goes to School are about separation. And the theme of that is grownups come back and there's even a little song that goes along with it. That can be such an awesome thing to use with your child to sing and to teach them that grown-ups always come back. So tips to help with separation anxiety at night. The Probably my number one would be to fill your child's cup with attention, affection, and connection during the day and also at bedtime. The more you can give them one-on-one -on -one attention during the day, the less you will have to do this at night. And that doesn't that's not a hundred percent guarantee, but it will go a long way. And almost every family that comes to me for sleep help gets the assignment to do more connecting activities and especially before bedtime. Connection before bedtime can go a long way towards that whatever that leftover need in your child is. Um, if you let your child lead the play or if you do something silly together as as a as a family before bed, you'll meet your child's needs and then they'll they'll settle much easier at bedtime because their attachment needs have been met, their connection needs have been met. Part of that can also be creating a predictable bedtime routine. So if you don't have one already, there's about a million different reasons why you should have a bedtime routine. I've mentioned it in so many of my shows because it covers all the bases as far as meeting children's needs for connection, meeting their needs for predictability and structure and routine that they really need to feel safe and calm. So something where you're connecting with them, whether it's song, special songs that you sing. One family I worked with did a hide and seek game every single night where they'd hide in the closet and, and the mom would go find them. Of course, reading books, whatever it is that you can do that's calming uh, and connecting before bed will definitely help to fill your child's cup. Think about schedule. So big reason why separation anxiety happens with older children, so twos, threes, fours even sometimes, is because they may be getting too much sleep during the day with the nap. So that nap can become problematic between ages two and four. And I'm actually going to do a whole episode on toddler sleep. So I'll talk more about that in detail. If your child is taking more than 30 minutes to fall asleep at night, 
it's a good indication that something's off with their schedule. So either you're putting them down way too early or they're very overtired and they can't wind themselves down. So it's usually one of those two things. Now, of course, if they're very anxious, if they have separation anxiety disorder, which we talked about earlier, this could be a persistent problem. Even if your child's schedule and routine is optimal for their age, you might still see some problematic separation anxiety and taking a very long time to fall asleep. So basically what happens with a child who's healthy, has healthy separation anxiety, not separation anxiety disorder, is that you're putting them down, for example, if you're putting them down too early. So like a two to three-year-old should have about six hours between the nap and bedtime. If it's less than that, then they're not tired enough to be able to fall asleep at bedtime most of the night. That causes them to have anxiety about laying there and not being able to fall asleep. Your child wants to sleep, but they can't sleep. So there's this anxiety that gets built up and built up and built up every night, every night, every night. And soon it's taking them an hour or two to fall asleep because there's so much energy and anxiety around falling asleep. So that's when it can become a big problem. And I see it very frequently when I work with families. Another one is, um, you know, reminding your child of what's expected of them. And this is something that parents sometimes don't take into consideration is that children want to please us. And so if we have sleep rules, if we create some sleep rules within our house and we repeat them, we have to be very repetitive with children. But being consistent and repetitive with sleep rules and sleep expectations, children, most most children just want to please and they like rules and they like structure. And so eventually these things will catch on. So if you remind them, it, you need to go to sleep in your own bed you need to stay in bed and call for me and I'm going to come back and check on you in five minutes. And then you actually check on them in less than five minutes most of the time. For younger children, they have no concept of time. So five minutes is an eternity to a little child. So if you can do that and remind them that they're expected to stay in bed and if they need you, they can call for you and just keep reinforcing that. And if they get out of bed, you bring them back to bed and tell them that. Again, it might take, you know, some repetition. It might take a few weeks, but most children will eventually get, if you're consistent, they'll get that this is just what to expect and what's expected of them. Um, something else that can help too is limiting TV and electronics before bed. In a, in a lot of ways, it can inhibit sleep. But as far as, um, you know, anxiety, there's been some studies that TV um, or electronics before bed, less than three hours before bed, can be linked to increased fears, increased nightmares. So maybe something to take into consideration if your child is watching TV or electronics before bed. Another recommendation is the lovey that we talked about a little earlier. And then if your child is going through a period of separation anxiety, give your child extra love, extra cuddles, give them extra hugs, spend the extra five minutes that they need, you know, sit next to them on their bed. You know, try hard not to make a habit. Now, this is a really delicate balance. And again, a reason why a lot of families come to me because the separation anxiety period is over, but the child still wants the parent with them to fall asleep. So maybe set some some limits for I'm going to stay in here for five minutes and then I'm going to go. But if you need me, you can call for me and I know that you can do it. And being very positive about and encouraging and um, empowering your child that they you know that they can do it on their own but still being there when they need you. 
And then something that I'll talk more in detail on the toddler episode is supporting your child to sleep and then gradually moving away. So basically what I talked about, um, giving them extra love and cuddles or staying with them if they need you to fall asleep. You can support them to sleep. And that's something that I have a lot of families work on because if separation anxiety or bedtime anxiety is a big issue with a family, your child's going to need your support and your presence for a while. And and so that they can build the confidence and trust in, in you and in themselves. And then you gradually move away from them. And that looks different for every family. And it doesn't work 100% with every family. Sometimes the parental presence is too much for children. And then we do other things in that instance. But most of the time, if you can support your child to sleep and get the schedule right, there, there comes a time when there is a balance between the two and your child is falling asleep within a reasonable time period and then they don't need you there as much and you can gradually move away. My connection for this week is if your child is experiencing separation anxiety or if you want to work on this skill a little bit more with your child, I suggest turning it into some kind of a game. And one of my favorite ways to teach children is with Um, different role-playing games. So you can pretend like your child is leaving and going to work or going to the store and you can be the child who doesn't want them to leave and make it really funny and silly, hold on to their leg, you know, pretend to cry. I don't know what it is. Kids just love when grown-ups pretend to cry. They think it's the funniest thing ever. You know, you can, if your child is playing with a doll and they drop the doll, you can pretend to be the voice of the doll or the stuffed animal and say, no, no, don't leave me. Um, Another good one with sleep is that you can role-play sleep and actually have your child put you to sleep, tuck you in, and then you pretend like you don't want to sleep. You pop up and say, I don't want to sleep. I'm not ready yet. So there's some kind of fun ways and you can use your own imagination. Um, You know, I talked about the going in the other room and doing call and response. So your child trusts that you're there and you respond to them. Those are just some fun ways that you can work on this skill and build this skill with your children because It is a skill and it needs to be worked on more so with some children than with others. So if your child is having a hard time with this, make it into a game. That's my episode for this week. And I have some really cool episodes coming up in the next couple weeks. The toddler sleep episode. And I'm working on one that I'm really excited about. It's a collaboration all about connection. And if you listen to this show at all, you know the importance of connection and filling your child's cup so that they're not looking for that during the night when they should be sleeping. So those are just some of the shows I have planned for you coming up. I ask if you enjoy this show, if you would share it um, on Facebook or Instagram, tell your friends and family about it. I'm really trying to spread the word because I feel like, you know, I'm on this mission to share the information and experience that I have with as many people as possible. Every time you share it with someone, it helps. It may help another parent who needs to get their hands on this information. I also ask if you have a minute, it just takes a couple minutes to go on iTunes and search for The Little Sleep Show and just rate it and review it. That would be awesome because it helps get me more visibility with this show and it helps me reach more people. Until next time, everyone, have a great week and take care of yourselves and each other. Bye. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. 
Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week. Thank you.